Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. We are coming live from Beecher, Wisconsin. I'm your Beecher preacher, <clears throat> teacher of the mysteries, and preacher of the heart. My name is Marty Leeds, but you can call me Miss Jackson if you're nasty. Okay, welcome to the Sunday service. We do service every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. That's when I, at least we usually do when I have my shit together, but I was a little late this morning because, oh, it doesn't matter. Welcome all. Thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it. All the good people are here. Perspective 96, Cat Links, Daniel Stearns, B, Julie Pradal, Brother William of Chapel of the Dearly Departed, Luca Andrietta, is that how you say that? Mark Brotherson, good to see you. Jim Grassi, the best church ever. Thank you very much, JM. I'm a little biased, but I agree. Okay, um, we, we got a good one for you today. Uh, this broadcast is being presented on all these other platforms thanks to Content Safe. Content Safe is getting me on BitChute, Rumble, and Odyssey's going up next, but all the all the services will be, all of them, uh, and they will stay up, will be at BitChute and Rumble and Odyssey once we get going with all those, and then we're streaming to YouTube and Rockfin, and I believe we're streaming to Rockfin this morning, are we? We are, and there's five watching. I got to make sure to check this chat since people were uh, sending donations and being nice and all that. So uh, streaming from YouTube and Rockfin, as you guys know, and also you can get this at the Flat Earth, Sun, Moon, and Zodiac app. You can get that on Dipharth's app. So go uh, check out Dave Weiss' app. Dave Weiss's app. You can get that on GnosticAcademy.org, and you can get the Sunday sermons on the app. So it's a great, it's a great handy tool, a great tool for learning lots of different things. Of course, you got uh, Crow on there, John Levy. Um, bunch of good stuff. Baratari Times is on there. Um, so uh, check that out. So there's a little uh, <clears throat> tab you can click that's educational and that's me. So next Sunday, I'm going to be with the lovely Lindsay over at Rogue Ways and we're going to be doing one day of brightness. So next Sunday, happy rising tip Jeremy Hines. Thank you so much, brother. Look at this. I'm on Rockfin. I actually got my stuff together this morning. So next Sunday, Right after this service, uh, we'll, I'll be doing a service with um, Lindsay. And we're going to be, like I said, we're going to be talking about a couple hours. We'll be talking about the solstice. And I'm going to be reading from my new book that's called Scripture in the Stars. And this baby's done. It is finite. It's not completely finished. We still have to edit it. And I'm still just working on a few of the references. But as far as it's it's entirely written. And it's gut. It's guten, guten, gluten tag. It's, it's, I loaf this, I loaf this book. Anyway, uh, it's going to be good. So uh, the pre-sale, we'll, we'll upload it this week, probably get the book in a week and a half or something like that. So probably right before Christmas, we'll do a pre-sale on it. And then, you know, beginning of January, it should be out. So, and it's going to be good. It's going to be an excellent uh, continuation of what we've been doing with the other books as well. So um, Pine the English Alphabets, Volume 1 through 3. And of course, Jesus Christ, and we're going to be talking about some of the stuff that we cover in these books today. So, just want to get some thank yous out of the way. Uh, can't wait to read it. Stella, you're going to love it. Stella, it's about the stellars. It's about the celestial realms. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. And this is going to be a continuation of what we did last week when we talked about the Cherokee story of creation. So, some thank yous we got to get out of the way. Alicia, Alicia Crawford. I hope I'm saying that right. Crawford. Perspective 96. Truth. The T-Roof Seeker. Uh, Ruth Scott, Amor, Walking Hug Russell, Karen B, Deborah Stiles, The Stille, uh, Liz, The Iron Maiden, Eric C, Luke, Lu, uh, excuse me, Lucy Short, Jer Jason Reed, Carol K. Huri, 15, Stella, and the Krupa, Benjamin, uh, Carrie Musgrave, Soul Luna, Jeremy Hines, thank you once again, Mr. Jeremy, Angie A, Cameron Keene, Daniel Stearns, Virginia Murray, Dilharth, and Paige, thank you so much, guys. 
uh, Anthony Pruis, Allison Flynn, Mark Brotherson, the son of the brother, and then of course we've got as he's always here. If you are the Uh, small acts, we're going to come visit you in, um, someday we're just going to show up at your doorstep, all ratty and, you know, ne'er-do-wells, and we're going to be like, hey, let's go hiking in Glacier, because I want to go hiking in Glacier. So, today we're going to do, this is episode 45, we're on 45 episodes of this, of this church service, that's pretty crazy. So, and this is called the Flaming Sword and the Cherubims of Kabbalah. Today we're going to talk about winged angels and Kabbalah and flaming swords and trees. It's going to be fun, but first we're going to do a prayer. May God the Father who made us bless us. May God the Son send his healing among us. May God the Holy Spirit move within us and give us eyes to see with, ears to hear with, and hands that your work might be done. May we walk, may we walk and preach the word of God to all. May the angel of peace watch over us and lead us at last by God's grace to the kingdom. Amen. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the kingdom. So we're going to do the flaming sword and cherubims of Kabbalah. So like I said, this is going to be sort of, um, we're leapfrogging off the last uh, live stream that we did, the last church service that we did, and that was the um, Cherokee creation story. And so mote it be, right? 42, 42, so mote it be. Guten Morgen, friends. So we're going to talk today about the flaming sword. And we talked about that. We found that in Genesis. And we related that to the stars. And that's what that's what we do. That's what the whole next book is going to be about. And so we talked about the flaming sword. And we're going to cover all of this today. And what we're going to do is find, once again, we're going to be basically doing comparative mythology and recognizing that Prisca, Prisca Theologia, that um, universal mystery religion, that is is within all of these of these ancient cultures. And we're going to uncover that once again today. And we're going to find the same elements that we find in Genesis, we're going to find across the world, which says something about the transcendental nature of the of the of what's behind Scripture, the things that Scripture is actually talking about, talking about the universality of those things. Because when we seek the universality, when we seek the transcendence, when we seek the incorruptible, when we seek the eternal, when we seek the metaphysical and the supernatural, we're in the realms of God. No one owns that. No one's in control of it. It's God's. It's God's only. He's given it to all of mankind and to, you know, all of it will return to him. And that's the, that's the information. That's the place that we want to get. Because that's when we know we're, we're dealing with the sacred and divine. So. We were talking about Genesis 3.24, and we talked extensively about this big bird. It's a good bird in the sky. And it was a swan, or it was a big, um, uh, what was it? A big, what was it? Raptor uh, buzzard, I think is what it was. And it buzzard, was it? Genesis 3.24. So what we're going to be talking about today. So this is man being expelled from the garden. So man was, we were these metaphysical, perfect sort of beings upstairs in the heaven, and then we're like, hey, we'll eat some fruit from a tree. And God's like, be gone with you. And then kicks us out. Okay, so this is the story. Then we've fallen from on high. We've fallen into material bodies, which is what we're in right now, the corruptible, the temporary. And ultimately, we have that divine within us, that eternal light. And we're trying to bring that light back home. This is essentially the story of, this is everybody's religious process. This is the story of man's uh, travails down here, his situation, right? His predicament. So he drove out the man, Genesis 3.24. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden, the garden of Eden, east of this place, cherubims. He placed cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way 
to keep the way of life. So we've got some, we've got some elements here. We got man, us, driven out of this mythical garden, and then in that garden, to the east of that place, he um, placed some cherubims. We'll talk about what cherubims are. Then there was a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And when we talk about the tree of life, what are we talking about? We're talking about uh, we're talking about eternal life. And so what, what we do is we understand, we, we take the stories of the Bible and we, we bring them back to life is really what we do. These stories are not, as we say, we're, they're not stuck in history some thousands of years ago. It's a living theology. This book right here is to tell you about the living express, you know, basically how the word of God plays out in your own experience in right now. In the here and now, We're trying to uh, resuscitate these stories and show how they're in your world right now. This is not stuff that happened 2,000 years ago. So, what is this flaming sword? Well, we talked about what this flaming sword was. We actually related it to a constellation, okay? And that constellation was Cygnus. Uh, we'll get into that in just a second. But this is, of course, man was expelled from the garden. And there's that flaming sword. Um, we kicked out, right? Boom, be gone with ya. And so then we got some cherubims, we got a flaming sword. So we saw that that flaming sword is actually a constellation, Cygnus. And it, Cygnus is a is a big bird in the sky. Looks like a big cross, a big sword, a big bird. Um, Cygnus is a young swan. It actually, Cygnus means swan. And it's been, it's been um, symbolized as a bird, like I said, a buzzard, an eagle, whatever, right? Uh, young swan, also Cygnet, uh, comes from, it means... Cygnus from the Greek kaiknos, which is very close to circle. And this is exactly what this does. It's turning to keep the way of life in a circle. We'll see that. And it says to be white, to lighten, to glow white. So Cygnus is actually a very bright constellation in the sky. Very bright. So it's, you know, very noticeable. It's very light. It's very illuminated, if you will. And as we'll see, it's a big serpent. And this is the constellation Cygnus. Or excuse me, it's a big cross. And it's literally known as the Northern Cross. Literally known as the Northern Cross. <laughs> so, um, this, I think Ginger's going to have to go out, baby. No, she's just... She's just being, you're just interrupting the church service. You're, and you don't even tithe. <laughs> so, uh, where is this mythical Garden of Eden, which we were cast out from? That's upstairs. It's right upstairs in the heavens. Like there's the North Pole, there's the North Pole, the North Star right there, Polaris right there. You go up and you look up and here you have, you don't have to go wandering around in your imagination or go several thousand years back to an actual garden in which two people lived. No, you don't have to do that at all. You don't have to rely on that to be some literal historical event. All you have to do is look up into the heavenly canopy and you will find the Garden of Eden right upstairs. Who are the garden? Who are Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? They're the progenitors of all mankind. They're the king and queen of all mankind. They're the royal progenitors of all mankind. Who is that? That's king and queen, circumpolar constellations revolving around that pole star, being Cepheus and Cassiopeia. Cepheus is a man. Cassiopeia is a woman. They're the king and queen. And so we have the king and queen, Adam and Eve, the progenitors of all mankind, upstairs in the heaven, right next to a big serpent. Okay. So here we have the old devil tempting them to out of heaven, out of the metaphysical realms. Of course, then they said that there was a big sword, a flaming sword that was pointing the way towards what? The tree of life. That's what it says. So there's a flaming sword and it's keeping the way of the tree of life. And the tree of life, as we're going to see, is in the center of the whole thing. 
So here's Cygnus full scale. So in the center there, look right in the center, you see Polaris. See right to the left of that is Draco the dragon. There's your serpent. Right atop of that, of course, is Cassiopeia and Cepheus, which is Adam and Eve. So here you have in the center of the whole thing, um, uh, in the center of the whole thing, there's your mythical Garden of Eden. Then right to the left of that, what do you have? You have Cygnus, the Northern Cross. And you can even see, you know, um, the, the bright stars actually form, looks like a sword, a cross. Okay. And that's the way to keep the tree of life and the tree of life, as we're going to see, is in the center of our cosmos. So there's Cygnus. Cygnus is known as the Northern Cross. It's a big bird. Um, one of the most recognizable constellations in the night sky, particularly, particularly during the summer and autumn in the Northern Hemisphere. It means a big bird. So we're going to relate this big bird in the sky. He's a good bird. This big bird in the sky to the cross. And of course, this is uh, this is not some wild, outlandish connection at all, because the cross and the sword are have have long been related to one another. Um, in fact, we'll see here. So we have. Let me go back here. This is your northern cross, literally known as a northern cross. So it's a big cross in the sky, right near the pole star, right near Adam and Eve, and right near Draco. And what is it doing? As it turns throughout the night. As it turns, what is it doing? It's keeping the way of the tree of life. As we'll see, the tree of life is going to be right in the center of our creation. This is not some mythical tree in some magical garden somewhere. It's literally right above your head. The very things that the Bible are discussing are things that are within your world. They're eternalities that are within your world. They're right above your head. And this is what's lost by the modern Christians. Um, I don't know what modern Christians think about what this flaming sword is and where Adam and Eve are. And, you know, it, as far as I can tell to most Christians, these, this is essentially a place in your imagination. This is just something like, what does a flaming sword mean to most Christians? I mean, I don't even know what you would come up with. I mean, you could go to the church fathers and some of the pastors, preachers and, you know, Catholic bishops and stuff like that. And they're probably going to give you a whole rundown of what this stuff means, but they're never going to give you anything palatable, anything that's actual real. I'm saying my tradition, by the way, is saying, oh, you want to know about the heavens? Oh, just look up. You want to find a flaming sword in the heavens? Exactly what they're saying? Look up. That's why God put it up there. So the cross and the sword, the northern cross and the sword, have been related. Obviously, they even they're shaped like with one another. They're like one another, right? So you have this flaming sword that's keeping the way of the tree of life. Now, of course, we know that the sword is the word of God. So here we have the sword, the cross. What did what did Jesus die on? The cross. So we know that the cross is related right to Jesus. That's not a stretch. I don't think so, right? I don't have to convince you of that one, do I? So we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the six pieces of the armor of God. Why would you go and put on armor? What? what why do you put on armor? Why would you go and put on all this heavy? He's got the feet fitted, fitted with the gospel of peace and shield of faith and helmet of salvation, belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness. And he got this heavy ass sword of the spirit. What what do warriors do? They go into battle. What are they? Why are you putting on all this uh, armor? Because you got to go fight a dragon. There's a big there's a big serpent in the sky. See right next to that big cross, that northern cross, which is which is the sword of the spirit. That's the cross, cross, the sword, the sword of the spirit. Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Right? Why would you have a sword to go slay the head of a dragon? Where is the where is that northern cross? That sword. It's right by a dragon. 
it's literally, it's, 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 you know, it's like, it's almost like as if that sword in the sky, that flaming sword is about to cut the head of that dragon off. You see that? So that's why you put the six pieces of armor of God on, because your sword of the spirit is the word of God. And the word of God is what? Jesus Christ. And where did he die? On a cross. Okay. So, so your sword of the spirit is the word of God, is the flaming sword. It's the sword of the spirit, right? And this is your sickness. This is literally pointing the way to eternal life. Eternal life is right up there with God. Our entire cosmology, our entire cosmology is based on this knowledge. Okay. A flaming sword is a sword which is glowing with a flame, which is produced by some supernatural power. Supernatural. You mean like the heavenly, right? Like the, the, the lights in the sky? They're, they're supernatural. They're part of nature, but they're super. You can't touch them. They're incorruptible. You can't go change the path of any of the stars up there, right? They're metaphysical. They're beyond the physical, correct? Yes, they are. Flaming swords have existed in legends and myths for thousands of years. So once again, this is the problem I have, and it's the problem I'll forever have, and I'll go to my death having this issue, I guess. But it's the me, 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 my, 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 my thing. A bunch of people think that whether it's the Hebrews or Christians, they think that their shit is their shit, and it's not. It's God's, and it belongs to everybody. And you're going to find these exact same principles across the world. Why? Because they're universal. And that's what we teach. So while a bunch of people are going, my, 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 me, 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 all possessive, they think that they got the one true path, and their one true path, it don't belong to them. Sickness isn't yours. It's everybody's. So... We have a flaming sword found all over the world. We have a Sumerian flaming sword in the Sumerian mythology. A lot of this stuff is literally on Wikipedia, which a lot of people rip on Wikipedia. Wikipedia actually can be a decent source for things, by, by the way. If you actually go and check what, sometimes what they say, you can actually find the source in which it was brought. So just so you know, but um, sometimes it's awful. Don't get me wrong. It's terrible. But um, as far as stuff like this is concerned, it's really easy to find, actually. And you can go into the, the original stories and find out that this is true. In Sumerian mythology, the deity known as Asurluda Asur is the wielder of the flaming sword who ensures the most perfect safety. So there's a flaming sword, and he's wielding that, and he's ready to chop some big beast apart. In Norse mythology, those Norse, the weapon wielded by the giant Sutur, is that how you say that? I'm probably not. I'm terrible with these pronunciations. Is referred to as a flaming sword. So in the North, they had a flaming sword. The Norse. A powerful teaching. Thank you, Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. Um, when drawn by a worthy or well-born man, the entire blade would blaze with fire. Flaming sword. Kalki, I think is how you say that, is described in the Puranas as this guy, was. he was riding a white horse like Pegasus. We've covered this before, right? You mean like that big horse in the sky, Pegasus? That, you know, like, what was it? Um, the, the uh, uh, I think Odin rode on a, what was the, freaking, uh, it was a, a horse's, it was like a white horse or a gray horse and it had eight legs. Muhammad rode on a white horse into heaven. And then of course we have, we know that Jesus rode on a white horse. What's going on here? Why a white horse? So while riding a white horse with a fiery sword, Akala is depicted in Buddhist art holding a sword which may or may not be flaming. Uh, in Kabbalah, of course, the flaming sword represents the order in which the Sephiroth were created in, also known as the path of the sword, the flaming sword. 
This is what I guys what I want you to pay attention to. So we know we're talking about in, when we go to the old, the old Testament here in the Genesis, right? We know we're talking about what would be considered Kabbalah, right? Which by the people of the Old Testament, people of the old religion, which has become Judaism, by the way, we'll talk about that. Um, that's another conversation. They, their, this is their book. This was their stuff, right? At least, right? And so they said that in Kabbalah, and that's what the Old Testament is. It's Kabbalistic. And that's why it's so hilarious when when we get into the New Testament, be like, yeah, they're just continuing that tradition. Then the Christians come in and be like, no, 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 can't be. We'll talk about that today. It's like, oh, well, no, the old stuff is Kabbalistic and so is the new stuff. No, 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 no. <laughs> so in Kabbalah, the flaming sword represents the order in which the Sephiroth, the Sephiroth are the ten emanations of God. Pay attention. In Kabbalah, the flaming sword represents the order in which the Sephiroth, the ten emanations of God, also known as the path of the flaming sword. Modern Christians, by the way, are rejecting this stuff and it is the core of their teaching. It is the core of the, of the mystical science behind this. So, this flaming sword points to the center, right? Eastern Orthodox tradition says that after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, the flaming sword was removed from the Garden Eden, making it possible for man, blah, 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 blah. Um, this flaming sword points the way to eternal life, points to the tree of life. Okay, now we know, let's go back to this. What is that tree of life? That's the tree in the center of the entire creation. We're going to get into this. This is called the world tree. Like I said, this is an extension of what we talked about before, but going to hit this home today. So there's the cross, the flaming sword in the heaven that's pointing the way to eternal life, which is in the entire center of the creation. And what's there? Oh, we've got the king and queen and Adam and Eve and a big damn serpent. And this path of the flaming sword points the way to the tree of life. What is the tree of life? The very center of the earth is represented in the heavens by the pole star of Polaris. This peak or uppermost part of the firmament has long been symbolized in numerous ways, sometimes that being a large mountain or an enormous tree. Almost invariably across the world, you'll either have a mountain in the center or a tree. Sometimes there's a tree on top of the mountain, okay? Almost invariably. Across the world, culture after culture after culture will say, at least metaphorically, if you will, in the center of our earth, being the center as above, so below, is a mountain or a tree. The Norse in their poetic Edda declared the Yggdrasil to be the central tree that exists within the center of the earth. We find the Genesis narrative speaks of the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, with midst, midst of the garden, literally meaning the middle. So in the middle of the garden, which we've already said where it is, there's a big damn tree. So yet again, we find a tree in the middle. According to Britannica, the world tree, also called the cosmic tree, the center of the world, is a widespread motif in many myths and folk tales among various preliterate peoples, especially in Asia, Australia, and North America. You find this all over the world. Once again, the same thing. Who owns that tree? Who owns the mountain? The Hebrews. The Hebes do it. They, they got, a, they, they got the, the title and they got the deed. And they own the mountain in the center of it. <laughs> or, or not. To summarize the mountain or central tree, central tree, the mountain in the center that is being symbolized here is that of the stars themselves, with Polaris being the peak or the summit of the entire mountain. The tree in the midst of the garden is our living tree of life. It's our living tree of life. It's not dead. It's not stuck in a book, in some history way back in the day, and there was this myth. No, 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 no. It is... Right now, in your life, it's a living theology and it's right there. In Revelation, we read this. And he showed me a pure river of water. Um, 
Actually, we'll go, we'll go into that. We'll go into that towards the end. Why a tree? Why is a tree being symbolized across the world? What is the symbolism of the tree? Once again, when we did Symbolism 101, um, <clears throat> what does it say? Does anyone own anything? No, right? Except God. God owns the whole thing. So, um, What is the natural symbolism of the tree? What could you, once again, why are all these cultures around the world, why is there a tree of life? And that's where eternal life is. What is the natural symbolism of the tree? Okay, what does the tree do? Well, it's a self-contained unit. It's an ecosystem in and of itself. Its branches reach up to the heavens, right? As high up into the metaphysical as possible. <clears throat> and its roots reach down below as deep into the physical as it can go. So it's a representation of the metaphysical and the physical combined as one. The tree starts from a seed. Everything, the entire tree, the entire birth of an oak tree is come, is in what? Is in the seed, which means it's fractal. The tree gives birth to the seed and the seed gives birth to another tree and seed, etc. So there's this constant cycle of, right, of, of uh, self-contained rebirth, if you will, self-generation kind of thing. Um, so, and it's, it's a home, it's a home for, like I said, it's an entire ecosystem in and of itself. So the tree has natural symbolism about connecting heaven and earth. And then why do you, then exactly what are the, what are the, what are the, um, attributes that they give to the tree? It literally connects the above world and the underworld. That's literally what they say. And that's exactly what a tree does. So did you, do you need, do you need this thing right here? Or do you need the Upanishads or do you need the Holy Vedas or do you need the Quran to go and figure out when God gave you a tree, the natural symbolism behind that? Do you need to go to the, the Nicene Creed and the council to be like, hey, what did what, when God made a tree, you know, please tell us. No, God is making the natural, the symbolism that is inherent within it available to all people. All you have to do is go into your head and your heart and be like, what are you saying to me, tree? When the Native Americans, when you, when you, when you are, you know, people of the wild, if you will, when there was this notion of the net of like nature itself was, was the theology, right? That these people like in quote unquote worshiped nature. They're not really worshiping nature. No one's actually out worshiping the bark of a tree. Nobody. No one, no, even the people that quote unquote were sun worshipers, if you ask them, right? Manly Palmer Hall did a whole extensive thing on this. I included in the book. When he asked them, are you actually worshiping the sun? No, we're not, it's not, oh, holy ball of light. No, they're worshiping what it's symbolic of, what it, all of these, this, the symbol, what it reaches to. And that's the almighty, that's the divine, that's the sacred. That's the inherent symbolism of the tree. Hence why you find it central in our cosmology across the world. Uh, the tree is a visible manifestation to humankind of God or a God. That's what theophany is. That's what a theophany is. That's what the tree is. It's a visible manifestation to humankind of God or a God. The tree itself is, God is speaking through the tree. Facts. Oh, some nature worship stuff. We get, that's probably some demonology or demon worship or something, something, something. Let's skip that. So this tree in the center, what do we have here? Once again, we go across the world. There's the Yagrasil tree. Like I said, sometimes it's a mountain and there's a tree on the mountain. So they, they actually incorporate both aspects of it. There you have the Ouroboros, which is known as Jormungandr, right? And it's literally this serpent that's in the waters around the earth. What is the, what is the, the metaphysical nature of the serpent? It's Draco at the top. It's Jormungandr. 
It's the serpent that's revolving around in the waters above. The Black Elk, I don't know if you guys read this book, Black Elk Speaks, it's actually pretty good. He describes, um, he's a medicine man, a holy man, he describes his vision, which after dancing around a dying tree, he had this illumination. Our father, the t- listen to this, our father, the father in heaven is the two-legged chief. So there was this father in heaven that was in the image of human beings because he was a two-legged, not the four-legged. And bring him to the center of the hoop. So the hoop of the nations, the hoop, the big circle, right? This was a two-legged image of God, of the chief, you know, the chief chief, if you will. And they brought him to the center of this hoop, which is in the center of the creation, where this, where um, he sees the tree in full leaf and bloom. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to this. And this chief is standing against the tree. So the Sioux, they believe the same thing. There's a big damn tree in the center. There's this God. He's the, you know, two-legged of the, the chiefs. And he's standing against the tree. Standing against the tree. Here's what the Unitas thought. The Unitas tell that the supernatural beings lived in the sky world, above the waters which covered the earth. Hebrews, Oneidas, how did they figure out that there was waters up there? Waters above, waters below. Did they have the Torah? (laughs) This tree was covered with fruits which gave them their light. After falling through, uh, she came back to rest on the turtle's back. This is a, this is a reference to basically the lot, there's several Native American tribes that there was a general theme that the earth stood on the back of a turtle. And so then, you know, this sounds like to somebody who doesn't recognize metaphysicality, doesn't recognize that mysticism really requires a poetic mind. That's what that's what a Gnostic perspective will bring you. It's actually illuminating both half of your brains, the left and the right, the creative and the, you know, uh, mechanical, if you will, and merging them and recogn- and, and, and allowing a, a more um, a creative understanding of creation, really, because the creator is being created with creation. Um, there's your turtle, the turtle, the natural shell, like, you know, basic, uh, display of the turtle gives you a 13 by 28 matrix. And this is, like I said, this is not, you know, this is something that's been known for a while. This is nothing new. Um, 13 times 28 is 364. That means God has placed a calendar on the back of a turtle. God has placed, which, which is numbers, which you can relate to either a lunar or a solar calendar, by the way. On the back of a turtle. So why did those crazy Oneidas think that the world was born on the back of a turtle? There's crazy mysticism happening here. And it's completely lost when you'd be like, oh, those savages. The world on the turtle's back explains the origin of land in which a tree of life is described. This is the Iroquois. So on on that turtle's back, in the center, was a tree. Mesopotamian, I think this is Mesopotamian tree of life. There's a couple rams. We just covered... All the uh, Rachel and Rama and all that other stuff in um, number 229 watching. Good. In the second chapter of uh, Matthew. So there's a tree of life. Here's another Mesopotamian uh, tree of life. There's the griffin, which is a character. It's like a bird and a wings and a lion. Um, boom, eating from the tree of life. Here's the Mayan tree of life. I think that's Pokal Vatan. I Don't quote me on that, but... Uh, you know, one of the chiefs of, you know, chief gods kind of things of the Mayan people. And out his stomach is growing the tree of life. And you can even look at this. You can even see it's sort of a tree. Here's what the Mayans thought of their cosmos. Once again, this tree, literally the exact same tree. See this figure here in the center. Look at that, the world tree. And then you can see that. 
It's literally the same thing. So this world tree is growing out of this character, you know, in the center of the earth. Four corners, that tree reaches to the underworld and lifts up to the upper world. Exactly what a tree does, naturally. Um, this is what, when Jennifer and I were in Europe in one of the cathedrals, this is what we saw, one of the trees growing out of the side of God. <clears throat> Okay, what do we got here? So make sure I didn't miss anything. Be good. Okay. Okay, let's keep going. Here's the Manichaean Gnostic tree of life. Uh, in the Gnostic religion, uh, the tree of life helped Adam obtain the knowledge, the gnosis necessary for salvation, and is identified as an image of Jesus. We'll get into that. In other words, Adam Cadmon, the Adam, as we'll talk about, Adam. Uh, was identified as Jesus. We'll get into that. Here is the Kalpavriksha. Kalpavriksha is a wish-fulfilling divine tree in Indian religions like Hinduism, Jainism, Buddhism, and Sikhism. It's a lot of isms. All those isms, they had a divine tree. How about the Uranian? Let's just keep going. Uranian tree of life. Once again, tree. Uh, I think that's a Hindu tree of life. There's one. How about the Greek? In the Greek mythology, Hera is gifted a branch growing golden apples. The golden apple is a representation, literally, of the tree, just like the just like Adam and Eve. They ate from the fruit of the tree, you know, this tree, and then it was like, and then this golden apple, this is gonna give them eternal life from this tree. That's what's happening. And then there's a dragon, just like this Draco, a serpent in the top that guards the apples that give you eternal life. Where did they get this? Where did it come from? They're just making a bunch of shit up. How about the Gregorian, uh, uh, Georgian, Georgian, excuse me, the Borzgali? <sighs> Good luck with that one. Is a Georgian symbol of the sun and eternity, eternal life, eternity. The Borzgali is often represented with seven rotating wings over the tree of life. Seven. You mean just like the Cherokee? That they had the seven too? Well, wait a second. George is like over here, and then the Cherokee over here, and then the Hebes are way up there. What's going on? Did they have cell phone service back in the day? They were on the Verizon network. They contacted each other like, do you guys, are you guys into seven too? Oh. So there's that. So pay attention. In this tree of life, they focused on the number seven. These crazy Georgians in the tree of life, they focused on the number seven. We'll get back to that. Here's the Chinese mythology. A carving of a tree of life depicts a phoenix and a dragon. And the dragon often represents immortality, immortal life, eternality. So in Chinese mythology, we have a carving of a tree of life. And it depicts a phoenix and a dragon. Well, we know why there's a dragon on the tree of life. All we have to do is go to those like, you know, the Iroquois or whatever, or the Norse people, or we can go, we really go all over the world. The Greeks, the Latin, right? Really go all over the world. And so here we see the Chinese mythology. They had a, a phoenix and a dragon. Well, what's on the North Pole? Draco, the dragon. What's on the South Pole? Phoenix, the phoenix. Look. Uh, where did they, how about those Irish drinking 
poor pension to drink Celtic Irish people. The Celtic tree of life is the oak tree. It was the most sacred tree of all, which represented the center of the world. Even those drunkards, the Irishmen, could figure out there was a tree in the center. The root of the oak tree was literally the doorway to the underworld. You mean like, just like what we said. <laughs> it was believed that the roots of the tree penetrated depths of the lower world. Branches of the tree reached out and stretched out to the heavens. And the trunk remains on the earth's plane. Plane. You know, like flat. A flat stationary plane. Like all of these cultures said we were on. Here's an Assyrian tree of life. Let's just keep going. How about an Arabian one? This is the Ura. I can never say this. Urartu? Sure. Something like that. What do you have? Literally the exact same. What is this? There was like two antelopes or there was two rams. And then there was a tree in the life. And that was some native tribe somewhere else. And then here you have it again. Literally the almost like the exact same drawing. Just with, once again, under a different cultural pretense. Antonio Andrade. Thank you so much. What do we got here? Jason Reed, yeah, buddy. Get me some, Marty. Yeah, baby. Jason Reed, thank you so much. Okay. Um, let's keep going. There's a uh, Turkish tree of life on a flag, by the way. There's one. How about that? And, of course, we have the Christian tree of life. Pretty couple awesome pictures of that. We'll get into that. And then, of course, we have the Hebraic tree of life. So once again, this is Kabbalistic. This is Kabbalistic. Now this is according to the, when we look through the eyes and the lens of the Jews, we're like, oh, this is how I see the world. And then they said the exact same thing as all these other cultures. Now, the problem is, is if you go to pretty much anybody in the quote unquote truth community, you talk to pretty much any Christian out there and you say, well, that there's, there's really nothing wrong with that. That's actually referencing all this right here is actually referencing something that's referencing something that's universal doesn't belong to anybody, is actually available to all people. This is just a Jewish interpretation of such a thing, such a universality. If you said that, most Christians lose their freaking minds. They lose them. And then they give, they give people like myself a bunch of shit because they can count to 10, as we'll see. It's pretty silly. And it's about time it stops. So that right there, this tree of life, this tree in the center, that all of these cultures around the world recognized and understood. As we know, where did they come up with this? All they had to do was go whoop, and look right to the north. And then what does this tree represent? Almost universally, it represents your tree of life. This is what it represents. That center axis in the center of our earth represents us. We are a reflection of the creation. God made, his, God made us in his image. And what is he? The entire thing. So we, we reflect the entire thing. So that tree in the center represents the tree in the center of you. Okay? In astronomy, it's this is the axis mundi. It's the celestial axis that, you know, essentially connects the underworld and the uh, you know, upper world. The north and the south runs right through the center of the earth. In a geocentric coordinate system, this axis is the rotation of the celestial sphere. And that's what we're in, geocentric. Why? Once again, why do you think that they're trying to lie to us about you know, um, uh, uh, why are they lying to us about our cosmology? Because our cosmology connects us directly to God. When we understand it correctly, it's like, oh, it connects us to all these cultures around the world. It allows us to see through the veils of all of this exoteric, all through, once again, all of the cultural lens in which they view their cosmology. It allows us to penetrate that and recognize that every single one of these people are your brother. 
Just, you know, just like when the Bible and that New Testament thing commands you to love your brother. Why? Why? But they're not Christian over there or they're not, you know, blah, 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 blah. Why does it command you to do that? Number one, because the spark of God, the divine spark of God is within everybody, even your enemy, number one. But number two, it's because guess what? The things that you, the God that you're praying to and the beliefs that you have based on this thing are found around the world. And it's only you, son. It's only you, modern Christian. It's only you, contemporary Christian, that want to make the divisions. That's it. That's all on your shoulders. It's got nothing to do with this. Nothing. Once again, when we go, when you take that route, you go, ah, my, 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 tree of life. That's me, 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 my, 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 my. And that, my friends, is possession. You are the tree of life. You represent that. Why do you think your, uh, you know, your, uh, <clears throat> your entrails, if you will, your, um, your, what is this, your, uh, what, what is this called? I'm, I'm totally brain farting right now. <laughs> anyway, um, your central nervous system. Thank you. Okay. So, um, what is it? it? It looks like roots. It's, it's that sort of thing. This is your tree of life. This, that one on the right is what the Hebes, the ruffians, talking about on that tree. And then what do you think this is? Representation of. Eternal life, right? Because he died and what happened after this? Like if you don't have the rest of the story, he was like, well, he just died on the cross. Well, no, but then there was the whole resurrection thing and you know, all of that. So it's a representation of eternal life. That's what it is. Okay. And before we get going, um, you know, let's just do this, people. All right, let's do this. Here it is. Show me you gotta show me that much. Come on, you getting this? You don't even have to get out of your seat. You don't have to put on your Sunday best. You know, you just turn on the TV, the computer computation machine. Next thing you know, oh wait, I'm sorry. Um, Mark Brotherson, three thirty-three. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. If you do want to send a donation, and this is the only way that this keeps this church going, just like any other church, this only goes. This only, this church only keeps going as long as people want it to keep going. And as soon as I don't have enough support to do this, this church is gone. And it's that simple. I put this entirely in the hands of the community. And the community will decide my fate. <laughs> so, if you would like to support this work, please go over to Cash App or buy me a coffee. Or you can become a member at GnosticAcademy.org. And you can set up a donation, become a monthly tither, whatever. So, thank you all for that. Um, appreciate all the support. Okay, so let's go back to our flaming sword. So now we have this flaming sword. We have this cherubim. We have this northern cross that's in the sky. And it's right next to a man and a woman and a big dragon. And it's in the center of the whole thing. And then we go across the world and we're like, there's a tree in the center of this thing. And then Genesis says that exact same thing. Once again, where did they get this stuff? Where did they come up with it? They didn't have to, you know, all they had to do was understand their cosmology, actually understand their creation. They didn't have to get a revelation from on high necessarily to understand the symbolism of a tree. So this flaming sword is there to keep, 
drove out the man, placed east at the garden. Why east? What is the east? When we say the east, what do we mean? Just as we talked about, what happens in the east? The sunrise. That's the illumination. That's the rebirth. That's the rebirth of the day. That's the glory. It's like, oh, yes, the sun is back. That's what it means. So when it says in the east, it's not literally saying like, oh, go towards the east over here or whatever, right? It's it's symbolic language. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims. Cherubims. He placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword Cygnus, the northern cross, pointing the way to keep the way of the tree of life. Stella, Ben Krupan, Stella, thanks for the knowledge you bring our way. Thank you so much, Stella. I appreciate that. So, cherubims, flaming sword and cherubims. What is a cherubim? So, according to the Bible, a flaming sword is actually a lahat cherub. Literally the flame of a whirling sword. So even the flaming sword that they're mentioned has the word cherub in it as a reference to cherub. Um, was trusted, so this flaming sword was entrusted to the cherubim by God to guard the gates of paradise after Adam and Eve were banished. And we know this. Okay, so it says here, they drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. What are cherubims? What does this... You know, to most people, it's just like, well, there's these like little babies and they've got wings and they're like flying around and they're metaphysical, but so they're not really here, but they're spiritual, but they kind of are. And then, you know, that and, that, and that's it. That's the only relationship that they have to this angelic realm, really. There's nothing substantial about anything that, that, that they're understanding. Well, we're going to substantiate that today because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, we're gonna we're gonna find some evidence of things not seen today. So, what are cherubims? Cherubims are literally the etymology of cherub is as an order of angels. It's part of the order of angels or a reference to an order of angels from cherub meaning winged angel. Okay. Brilliant, Marty. Teresino Sulo, thank you so much. Derek Harvey, thank you so much. I appreciate that. <clears throat> so, in other words, let's go over this one more time. Flaming sword. East of the Garden of Eden, cherubims. What is cherubims? Cherubis, cherubim is an order of angels. 9111 Eric C. Thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Appreciate that. Look at all you blessed people. My Lord. Got some on Rockfin, my lord, thank you. Angie A, thank you so much. Appreciate that. That's what keeps this going. Gen X rated. My brother. Thank you so much. Thank you all for being here on Rockfin. Looks like Rockfin's growing. We've got 12 over there. <laughs> all right, good. So, okay. So, let's go back here. Flaming sword, cherubims. It's an order of angels. That's what we know what a cherubim is. It's a, you know, order of angels. Boom. Okay, so what is Kabbalah? Now, this is what gets this. Now, you, now, once again, this is the problem because here you have, if you ask, like, most, like, any, like, rabbi that knows his, you know, his, knows his stuff when it comes to esoteric or mysticism, if you asked him, it's like, well, was the Old Testament, was the Torah, was it written Kabbalistically? They're really, yeah, of course it was. Duh, right? And then all of a sudden, once, once, once again, you have this Jesus coming from that tradition 
right, in which the book is written Kabbalistically. Then you have this whole New Testament thing, and then there's, for some reason, there's a disconnect with modern people say, well, no, Kabbalah has nothing to do with my New Testy stuff. And the problem is this. The problem is this, is people don't know what Kabbalah is. And that's very, that's been made unbelievably clear to me over the years. Because you say Kabbalah, you might as well said like I raped my grandmother or something to some people. It's so crazy. Kabbalah, this is what it is. When you break it down to its brass taxes and you get to the meat and potatoes of the thing, okay? This is what Kabbalah is. And don't let anybody else tell you otherwise because they're full of poopoo caca, okay? Kabbalah is number symbolism. That's what it is. That's what Kabbalah is. It's understanding what numbers are, where they come from, that sort of thing. What are numbers? They're supernatural. Once again, let me just explain this quick. There's no numbers in nature. There's no number, physical number two, that's got a nice curvy thing and then it goes down. There's a nice little horizontal bar there. And you go down to, you know, you take exit 666 off Highway 33 and you go past the Arby's on the left and you go down and there's going to be a nice big physical number two there. No! That's not what it is. Yet, is the number two part of nature? Of course. Of course it is. Enumerating anything. How would you know it's not the second day of the week if you couldn't enumerate something? Where does this supernatural, where, where does numbers come from? They come from God. They're metaphysical. They're supernatural. They're part of nature, but they're not. They're not in nature. So they're supernatural, literally by definition. Metaphysical. They're beyond the physical. Once again, they're not part of the physical world. They're beyond it, but yet are they part of the physical world? Yes. Yes. They're, they're, otherwise, we wouldn't even be able to do this right now. If it wasn't for numbers, the internet wouldn't work. So whenever you have anybody that comes along and be like, well, zero is not a part of the number line, or numbers are arbitrary, or number, you can make numbers fit anything. Okay, can you make zero or one be anything but zero and one on the internet? No. Can you make two plus two equal anything but four? No, you can't. So what are you talking about? This is the state of philosophy on 2022 in December. Um, numbers have natural inherent qualities to them, inherent attributes. They do. They have corresponding geometry. All of that is incorruptible. Yes, you can lie about numbers, but numbers don't lie. Yes, you can lie about numbers. You can say two plus two equals five, but you can also use numbers to find out that that's bullshit. They're ordered. One, two, what comes after two? Three, what comes after three? Four, what comes after four? Five. And that goes on to what? Infinity. Where does it come from? They're available to all people. They're universal. They're axiomatic. They're incorruptible. They're the emanations of God. As what we're going to see is that numbers represent divine principles of design. This is why Kabbalah is a holy science. Because it studies number symbolism. Numbers are a language of God. They're metaphysical. They're universal. They're supernatural. They have inherent qualities. They're ordered. They're axiomatic. Okay? And they study them because they recognize, oh, those are divine principles of design. Now, Kabbalah gives you a numeric alphabet. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I did, I did roll out a poo-poo caca in there, Stella. Because I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm just very elevated in my speech. I'm an author. Um, so, <laughs> so there's a numeric alphabet. Once again, this is irrefutable. You, could, you can get all sorts of people that will say something, you know, like, uh, you know, I've heard before, it's like, oh, zero's not part of, zero's blah, 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 or stuff like this. That's nonsense. When I worked at the VAT, okay, mathematics is a language, and you use this language to understand literally any science. It doesn't matter if it's b b chemistry or algebra or, b b you know, whatever it is, any sort of science, you will utilize mathematics. When I worked at the VAT, 
and I did this every time I worked, I would usually, almost always, have to go and weigh a dog, which means I would take the dog and I would bring it to the, the scale. And what was the first thing that I did to that scale? I teared it out. I brought it to zero because it's a placeholder, literally naturally. What would I do? So should I just make it one and then put the dog on there and weigh the dog and then subtract one? Or I could just start with zero. So here you have a language that's available to all people. It's universal. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter what language you speak, where you're from, where you were born geographically. That will be the same. And that's zero. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And God put that alphabet right here. So when people say, oh, Kabbalah is incomplete or Kabbalah is this or Kabbalah is that, they literally have zero clue what the hell they're talking about. Literally none. None. And I'm here to tell you that so that you will not have to go out to all of these different channels and get your head full of, that's right, Stella, a pupukaka. You can go here and everything I'm telling you is verifiable. And what is it based on? Oh, actually it's not. This has nothing to do with it. What is it actually based on? Okay, so all of those people that want to rip on the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ because they teach Kabbalah, yeah, so are you. Did you teach your child 1 through 10? Did you teach him 0 through 9? You taught your child Kabbalah too. You just didn't know what you're talking about, and you don't know where it comes from, and that's unfortunate. The decimal system means deca means 10, and that's what God has placed on you twice. He placed one downstairs on your feet and one on your hands. These 10 units are the foundational mathematical system underlying all of creation, full stop, period. T-roof, sika. What's up, my brother? What's up? I see you. You're in your underwear right now, aren't you? You are. He's having this fat cup of coffee. He's cracking up right now. He's laughing, but he's sitting there in his underwear. He's 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 attending a church service in his undies. He wears he's a boxer, not briefs. Anyway, <laughs> thanks, brother. <laughs> All of the numeric systems may be created using these ten numbers or letters of this alphabetical language. So these ten units: zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You can use those to make any other number in creation, and that's a fact. Deborah. Stille. The styles. Thank you again, Marty and Jen. Another brilliant sermon. I love this church. It's not done yet, though. But thank you. Um, I have. I still have yet to just tank this baby, Deborah. You know, just give me some time. Okay. So when we speak of, so in other words, let me go back here. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Those ten digits, which God has placed right here and down here, they're emanations. They're they're qualities and attributes of the created world. Hence why zero is part of it. Because what is zero? It's no thing. Do you mean to tell me that spirituality, which is literally not a thing, meaning the spiritual realm isn't a object. It's not an object. It's not objective. So therefore it's not an object. So you have to you have to account for it. Well, yeah, zero. So these 10 numbers you can use to create any other number in existence. doesn't matter if it's 987,654, you know, 987,654,321.0. Right, You create that with those. It's an alphabet. It's a numeric alphabet. This is what Kabbalah is. Understanding that mathematics is a language. It's universal. It's everywhere. It's understanding that the, all the great traditions actually based their religions on this too, as we're going to see. Now, 
this, um, once again, when I teach this stuff to you guys, there's a lot of people out there, and I've been getting this quite a bit lately, right, that thinks like I'm the king of Christianity, special boy, whatever, the blah, 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 thinking that I'm coming up with this, or I'm just making this up as I go or something, right? That I'm just like, you know, whatever, this just comes from my imagination. I am teaching you guys exactly what I studied the shit out of for 15 years in an entire tradition of people that wrote books extensively on this stuff. Then somebody comes along that doesn't know this, be like, oh, they just make, no, no, not at all. This is a tradition. The problem is, and this is the problem, and this is what I'm here to clarify to all these people, and this will be pretty much my life's goal, is the uh, problem is, is that they've separated all of these things. They say that all of this has nothing to do with any of this. And yet, once you start peeling back the layers, there's no way to refute it. Though the, they have to, because they can't say that my Bible has anything to do with astrology. My Bible has nothing to do with that Kabbalistic stuff. And they couldn't be any further from the truth. We're counting to ten here, people. Okay. John Gaggett, this round is on me. Thank you so much. So, when I talk about, I got this stuff from a tradition of people that talked about it extensively. This comes from the Sefer Yetzirah. It's a Jewish Kabbalistic book. Now, most people that are just those words enough. Ah, I can't touch that, right? This is what they'll learn here. Number one, so when I do all this stuff on my hands, like, oh, Marty is just so, like, uh, so unique doing all this stuff on my hands. No, not at all. Not even close. Like the most unoriginal person on the internet sometimes, okay? The 10 Sephiroth are directly related to your hands. The 10 emanations of God, okay? Now, why are we talking about this? Because these are the order of angels. This is the cherubim. The order of angels is zero, one is actually zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And we're going to see this across the world. And where did they put that? Right on their hands. So this is from the Sefer Yetzirah, which means the book of creation. Of course, we're talking about our cosmology. The 10 Sephiroth of nothingness in the number of 10 fingers. Marty's so original. Five opposite five with a singular covenant precisely in the middle, in the circumcision of the tongue and in the circumcision of the membrane. Bina, Kiter, Gevura, Shakma, Hod, Yesed, Hesod, Tiferet, Malkut, Netzach. They literally put the Jewish understanding, of course, with their terms and things like that, on the ten fingers, just like we do here. Therefore, in many places where... I'm not going to read that. doesn't matter. Let's go on. Ten Sephiroth of nothingness. Their measure is ten. This is the emanations of God that you'll find in Kabbalah. What are these emanations? Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Ten Sephiroth of nothingness, their measure is ten, which have no end. A depth of beginning, a depth of end, a depth of good, a depth of evil, a depth of above, a depth of below, a depth of east, a depth of west, a depth of west, a depth of north, a depth of south. The singular master, God, faithful king, dominates over them all from his holy dwelling until eternity of eternities. So we have, let's go back here. We've got a flaming sword and it says, hey, and we're going to point to the center of this creation. And in that center of the creation is a tree of life. And just to the east of that, which is, of course, symbolic language representing where the light is, where the light rises in you. There's going to there's going to some cherubims. And what are cherubims? Cherubims, as we know, are an order of angels. Okay. Now, even the word angels... Once again, you don't even have to be that like, you know, crazy, like, you know, poetic or something, you know, like a master wordsmith to figure this one out, right? Angles and angels. So in the center of this creation, God placed some cherubims, some angle angels, some angle angels, east 
to point you know r- r- around the tree of life and the flaming sword to point to this tree of life which is your eternal life and what are these angles kabbalah will tell you i didn't make this up nothing original here literally nothing kabbalah will tell you that it's either you could look at it either one through ten or zero through nine zero because ten is basically just once again you're back to one and you're adding a zero you still need the zero mr greg arcade did you guys like the last intro song from the cherokee story of creation that was by mr greg arcade and his badass tune he did a great job so um so here's your angles here's your angels here's your kabbalah kabbalah oh my god right we're learning to count to 10 guys so zero is and this is basically um little book plug here so what we're going to cover here this is kabbalah this is understanding that there's divine principles of creation design elements of creation that god has created put them right on you above and below and this is what the world is essentially made of these these uh design principles and it's zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Now, every single one of these has qualities, has uh, geometry, has unique attributes and things like that. And this is something that I went over in the book called um, Lord Jesus Christ. So in this book, I, cover, I covered an entire chapter called the alphabet of the divine. And that's what really what we're talking about, the alphabet of the divine. And that's zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Just so you know, chances are a lot of these Christians that are denying this stuff will end up teaching their children this stuff so think about how crazy ironic and nuts the whole thing is literally what i'm teaching you right now they will teach their children this stuff and then tell you because we're teaching it like this it's demonic (laughs) so anyway so those principles and attributes i actually covered in a book so i go over every single number Look at its geometry. Look at the quality of the numbers. Look, is it a prime? Is it non-prime? What's its divisors? What, where you find it in nature? So I go through all the zero through nine. So I did that in this book. Um, there's another book that I always recommend, and it's called this. It's called Beginner's Guide to Constructing the Universe. And this goes through one through 10, um, a lot more in depth. And so, but this, highly recommended. This, for all the people that are, um, you know, part of this church and, you know, want to continue to learn, this baby right here is an important one. This is something that really will help you open your eyes to be like, oh yeah, you see these numbers. They're not just these arbitrary, cold, dead artifacts of creation. They're alive. Their they're, numbers aren't dead. They're alive. They're angels. They're, ang- they're angles of the angels, okay? In the same sense that most Christians look at angels of the world, Right? And they're like, oh, I had an angel on my shoulder. And he's, you know, don't, don't separate that sort of feeling except when you're looking at numbers. The problem is, is people have been taught numbers are these boring kind of thing. This book will tell you otherwise. Show these numbers and where you find them all over the world. Okay? So this is, they're even showing you how basic, the basic, you know, formation of plants can be understood geometrically. Okay? Required reading. For those that are part of the church, I would say. Another great book that does some of this, uh, goes over the principles zero through nine. Uh, another one, Serpent in the Sky, John Anthony West is another great one. So I would highly recommend those two. But you could also get this one. So anyway, so here's just a quick smattering, just a quick rundown of what some of these principles mean. Zero means no thing. It's a placeholder. It also means nothing, is nothing, represents nothing, no thing. Right? And you say, well, how do you represent nothing? Well, if you have nothing in your bank and you need to represent it, you need something, you need a symbol to represent it, don't you? Yes, okay. So uh, zero, no thing. It's a placeholder. It's also a multiplier of 10. 
So for some reason, zero has no power and then a whole shitload of it. Seems pretty spiritual, metaphysical to me. One is unity, totality, individuation as well. There's one thing there and there's one thing there. Duality, polarity is number two. Okay, this gets into division, scission, separation, multiplicity, division. Multipl because multiplying and dividing are reflective of one another. Three is the first polygon. One, two, three. That's the first time you create two-dimensional space. It's also the unity of opposites. Instead of having one here and one here, now you've got this, this other one. Of course, now we've got the birth of time. We've got the birth of the Trinity. Found around the world. Uh, 4D is of, uh, four, of course, is three dimensions. That's where you bring volume into it or uh, bring, um, uh, you know, like, instead of two dimensions, now you've got, you bring one out next thing, you know, you got a tetrahedron to that triangle, if you will. You've got the Northeast, West, and South, four seasons. Uh, number five, of course, is phi. It's literally the, the golden mean, the golden ratio, which is a fingerprint of, of a design signature of God. It's found everywhere. Animate objects, inanimate objects, plants, animals. Uh, number six is volume, space, and time. In fact, when you divide time, it's usually done in a sexagesimal system, which is space six. Well, 60, but six is, you know, um, 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes an hour, 24 hours in a day. Every single one of those is divisible by six. Seven is a virgin sacred number. I'll show you that in just a second. That's a whole other conversation. Eight is doubling. It's also representative of the what was considered the pagan wheel of the year separated into eight and then nine is a serpent it's three threes it's the highest it's and that gives there's a whole thing there I'm, I'm just basically going over these quick if you want to go in depth and know all the qualities and things like that that's why i did the whole book on it right that's why this guy could do an entire book on it right because there's so much to learn just within these de de design signatures of god okay now pay attention stop let's step back here a second okay so we were talking about a flaming sword which is uh cygnus which is pointing to the center which is the mythical garden of eden and next thing you know we got adam and eve up there we got a serpent up in the top there so in the garden of eden there's a serpent at the very top in our cosmology there's a serpent at the very top and then when we go to our order of angels our order of angles what do we find just as we, even the nine looks like a serpent. It's coiled like a serpent, like a coiled serpent. Look at it, right? It's like nine, like that. This order of angel at the top, right, is a, is a serpent. Even looks serpentine. This is exactly what it is in the Christian angelic hierarchy. So, in this, pay attention. This is your Christian angelic hierarchy. It's nine angels, nine angles, nine angels, nine angels, nine angles. Okay? So, remember, we had this cherubim or excuse me, we drove out the man, we're out of there, we're in the material realms now, placed at the east of the Garden of Eden, that mythical garden that's at the top, cherubims, an order of angels, an order of angels, that's what they placed at the top, onto that tree of life to keep the way of eternal life, right? So it's right next to this tree is an order of angels, and there's nine of them, and there's your Christian angelic hierarchy, which is nine angels, nine angels next to a tree, surrounding a tree there's your christian angelic hierarchy the first one is angels arch arch archangels uh principalities powers virtues dominions thrones cherubim and what's at the top the top one number nine it's a seraphim it's a seraphim what's a seraph seraphs were traditionally regarded as burning or flaming angels um, it has the has sense of to be lofty or flying. Some scholars identify it with a word found in other passages interpreted as a fiery 
flying serpent. A fiery flying serpent. Seraph is an angelology is belonging to the highest order of the ninefold celestial hierarchy. Highest order, number nine. Old English, seraphim, uh, compare with cherub. The word seraph is related to burning, means to burn. Uh, in the Bible, it refers to poisonous snakes, snakes whose venom burns upon contact. So now, let's just step back here. We were told that there's a tree in the center of our creation. And at the top of this tree, and on this tree, or next to this tree, around this tree, are nine orders of cherubim, of angels, or angels. And we already represented, well, zero is no thing, right? It's literally nothing. And that's how it's represented. That's how it's understood universally. Then you have what? After zero. Zero is even considered a non-number sometimes. After that, what do you have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine orders of angles or angels. And what's at the top? These angels are all put next to what? A tree of life. And where's that tree of life? It's the center of our cosmos. And what's at the center of our cosmos? The pole star. And what's near the pole star? Up at the very tip top of the center of our cosmos and the tree of life. It's Draco. It's Draco. It's a big serpent. So our number line, Kabbalah, which people think is arbitrary or whatever it is, whatever they think they want to think. It's all just a bunch of number, mumbo, jumbo, blah, 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 blah. It actually tells you about your ticket home the dragon that you're going to have to face when you get up there and where you want to be heading. And God put that where? Well, he put it in the entire creation. And then where else did he put it? Right in front of you. So in other words, there's a seraphim, angel, number nine at the very top. And what do we have in our cosmos? What does the modern Christian think this means? When Moses, when it says in John 3.14, when it says in John 3.14, that Mo, uh, so, you know, as Moses lifted the, the serpent up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that thing. What are they talking about? What in the freaking hell is Moses talking about? What's a rod and a staff and a serpent? What's going on? That's Kabbalistic. Now go to Gab. Now I want you, what I want you guys to do is go on Gab into all of the, the, the literalist, fundamentalist Christians on there. Tell them this. Hey, did you know that that's uh, Jesus is Kabbalistic? And then watch them lose their minds. Meanwhile, all of this stuff is trying to tell you about your experience here. Not shit that happened a couple grand ago. A living theology. Where is that number nine? Where is that seraphim, that serpent? It's right here. And right here. And right here. So those nine numbers lead you to number seven. So pay attention to this. Zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We already know zero is no thing. Okay, it's nothing, it's, it's no thing. So now we're, there's no dimensionality there, obviously. There's nothing. So now we get into, well, not zero. So now we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. When we get to 10, what do we just do? Oh, we took one and zero and, and made a different number. 
Then we get to 11, what did we do? Well, we took two ones. So we took letters of that numeric alphabet and created all the rest of them. So now we essentially have what? We have zero, which is nothing. Then we go to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, one and two don't create any dimensionality either. One is just a point. So it's be infinitely big, infinitely small. Two points is just two points in a line. And that's it. So what's the first time, just as we just discussed, what's the first time you create dimensionality even in two dimensions? The number three. Hence, one of the reasons why the number three is considered sacred across the world. Once again, the Trinity is found all across the world. Why? Why, why is the concept of three becoming one found across the world? Did they, did they have to get some revelation on high for that? Or did they just look at the creation itself and come to understand naturally that geometry itself tells you about the Trinity? Geometry, these Kabbalistic divine principles of God, his design principles, are telling you about the Trinity naturally. So, zero, nothing. One, no dimensionality. Two, no dimensionality. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. That means there's seven, seven total geometric polygons of that order of angles, angels, that actually gives you dimensionality. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So three is 180 degrees of the triangle. Four is 360 degrees of the circle, or the square, excuse me. Um, Luca Andretta, thank you, brother, for your precious digging. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate that. Five is your uh, pentagon, 540 degrees. Six is uh, your hexagon, 720. Um, septagon, 900. Octagon, 800, or 1080, excuse me. And then uh, your, your nine, nonagon uh, is 1260. Okay, so what, Marty? Stupid math again. Why are you doing this to us? Why are you trying to <laughs> punish us? on a Sunday morning with doing a bunch of math. Well, these nine all, all naturally, inherently lead to seven. There's only seven of these polygons that actually give you dimensionality. 183, 65, 47, 20, 900, 1080, and 1260. 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. When you add them up, do you know what you get? 180 plus 360 plus 540 plus 720. Look down below there. 180 plus 360 plus 540 plus 720 plus 900 plus 1080 plus 1260 equals 5,040. 1 times 2 times 3 times 4 times 5 times 6 times 7 is 5,040. So once again, naturally, naturally, oh natural, organically, right by all, by literally asking God, why is the number 7 important, God? God will tell you in his language, These nine polygons, there's only seven that actually create dimensionality. When you add those nine, those seven polygons up that actually create dimensionality, it equals 5,040. And when you multiply one times two times three times four times five times six times seven, it's 5,040. So where did these Cherokee come up with seven? Where did these cultures around the world come up with seven? Where did these cultures around the world come up with the Trinity? Where, I guess we have to pay homage to the Hebes. Because thank you, thank you, oh Rabbi, Master, Master, for telling me that number seven is sacred and part of God's divine plan. Thank you, oh holy, holy book. You see? You see what's going on here, people? Do you see what's happening? Where does your cosmology come from? Where does, where does your religion come from? Where does it actually come from? God himself. 
That's where it comes from. And God has left all of the information, all of the roots, all the pathways, everything that you need to know, He gave you right here and right here. And this is when you get to that. And when you can get to that place, then your eyes will be opened. And then you'll get to see why the all of these pagan, quote unquote, heathen, all these alter, all, you know, ulterior or different, if, if you want to say, different cosmology or you know, religions and spiritual doctrines and stuff like that, those are not actually your enemy. The problem we have going on in this world is crazy ignorance. Crazy ignorance. The truth is so simple. Yes, it is, JB. And the problem is, is just like flat earth, flat earth is no different. Flat Earth is one of the easiest conspiracies to actually recognize. The globe, in other words, is one of the easiest conspiracies to debunk. To debunk. You need to understand geometry in order to debunk the globe. But why is it so difficult for people to accept the Flat Earth? Because they have to accept that they've been lied to. They have to accept that, especially if they're like, you know, especially like the, you know, if they've... Put all their stock in a belief, whether it's this one or another one or scientism, you know. The truth is simple. Getting people to accept that truth, that's a whole different bag of tricks. The truth is simple. In fact, God put that truth, what's what's more? You teach children one through ten to count, right? One, two, three, four, right? Nothing more simple than that. And God placed that right here. And yet, we're in the cluster screw we are today. So... Yes, trivium and quadrivium equals seven. Seven comes from music too. Yes, exactly. So, okay. So, okay, so we have all this. So once again, this is all Kabbalistic. Kabbalistic is just a, literally just a term for number symbolism. Now, this is the problem I have, and I have this problem with all sorts of different people that have with all sorts of different beliefs and stuff like that. This stuff is right in front of you. It's so damn simple. Once you once it's put in front of you, you're like, oh, geez, how did I not see that before? And they'll still ignore it. Here's one. Here's the Norse. Here's the nine worlds of the Norse. Now, if you went and told most Viking people, Norse people that are into this sort of stuff, that is like, hey, your stuff is, look, at there's an eagle on top of that. Remember when we talked about the eagle? Symbolism of the eagle? Look at that. Interesting. If you said that, guess what? Your shit is is pretty much, um, actually, when you get to the core of it, is literally the exact same stuff as a bunch of Hebrews. Once again, you'll find these people losing their mind. Why? Are you trying to play special boy with your religion too? Is that your tree of life? <laughs> no. No. It doesn't belong to you. So stop with your possession. This is the Yagrasil, the tree of life. So there's a tree of life in the center of the creation, <laughs> right? As we know. And on that tree is nine worlds. Hmm. I wonder what nine worlds they were talking about. I wonder what nine worlds, zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I wonder what nine worlds that these crazy Vikings were talking about. Once again, how many Vikings, how many people that were Vikings or whatever, if you said that, look, this is what's going on. That's Kabbalistic, son. They would lose their minds. No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, gonna have to pop that bubble for you. Here's the opening of the Poetic Edda. Hear me, all ye hallowed beings. What does hallowed mean? Sacred. Hear all ye sacred beings. That's what they're saying. The opening line, you're all sacred. Why? Because you all come from God. And then the next line tells you this. Both high and low, everybody that's up in the metaphysical and in the physical, 
of Heimdall's children. Hear me, all you sacred beings, both in the metaphysical and in the physical, of Heimdall's children. Who's Heimdall? Heimdall is the North Star. In Norse mythology, Heimdall is a god who keeps watch for invaders and the onset of Rangarok, which is basically your apocalyptic, apocalyptic scenario, from his dwelling in Himnenborg. Himnenborg. Gonna butcher that one. Where the burning rainbow bridge Bifrost meets the sky. There's a rainbow bridge that goes from the underworld to the upper world. And this place where this Heimdall is, is where the, the bridge, this Bifrost bridge, meets the top of the world. Meets the sky. So this Heimdall dude, who's the, he's like, oh, you're all sacred beings and you're all part of your life. He's on high. Where this, and then it even says Heimdall. Heim means home, homewards, abode, world, land. So the land, Heim. And Dahl means luminous shining. So in other words, there's a luminous shining home up in heaven where this Heimdall God is. Well, what is that? Well, that's the North Star. That's the North Star. Himmenbjörg, which is where this Heimdall is, is Heaven's Castle or Heaven Mountain. Just as the Norse say, right? There's your Yggdrasil tree and sometimes it's even shown, once again, on the mountain. And in the center is what? A world tree or a mountain, as we say. Here's Heimdall, right? And he's in Himmenbjörg. And him and Borg is in the heaven. Then we have a rainbow bridge that's going up to the sky in the heaven. And he literally means home of the shining one. This is the North Star. This is Polaris, which is literally at the top of the mountain, the top of the Yggdrasil tree. And what's up there? Draco. A serpent. So here you have the nine worlds, right? And on the tippy top is the North Star. Thou wilt the Vallfather, which means the Allfather, all, totality, the Father of all beings, that I will set forth the fates of the world, which as first I recall, I call to mind the kin of Eaton's not long ago did give me life. Nine worlds I knew. Zero. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine? Wait, wait, wait a second. What about the zero? There's only nine worlds. What about the zero? Nine worlds I know, the nine abodes of the glorious world tree, the tree that sits in the center, the Kabbalistic tree of life. No, 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 not my Norse stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. In earliest times, did Emer live? Was nor sea, nor land, nor salty waves. There was no thing. There was no sea, there was no land, there was no waves. Neither earth was there, nor upper heaven. There was literally nothing. Then it says, but a gaping nothing. So, from this gaping nothing in which no, there's no heaven, there's no earth, there's no salty waves, from this nothingness, nine worlds grew on a tree. You see how humanity needs to snap out of it? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? All of these myths are talking about the exact same thing. God's au naturel religion. <clears throat> How about those crazy Egyptians? They had a tree of life. Check this one out. So they had a tree of life. In ancient Egypt, the tree of life was a representation of the series of events that brought everything into existence. It's a creation story, cosmological story, and in the center there's a tree. 
there are various spheres within the tree of life. Just like the worlds, like the abodes and the worlds of the Norse stuff. <laughs> Isn't it funny when you when you when you tell Christians to it, it's like, well, there's a lot of similarities, like a whole lot of similarities that you can find within the Egyptian stuff and the Christian, they just lose their minds. The fundamentalists, they lose their minds. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. There are various spheres within this tree of life which portray the process of creation. <clears throat> this is the Egyptian story of creation. Ready? Ready? In the beginning, there was nothing but an oceanic abyss of empty water signified by the god none. There's none. There was nothing there. There was just a bunch of waters and there was nothingness. And it was called none or noon, none, none. As an N-O-N-E, from this nothingness, the none, a sacred mound of earth arose from the darkness. And upon this creator, God Atum manifested himself. Seeking companionship, Atum spit out his mouth, Shu, the god of the air, Tefnut, the god of moisture, Shu and Tefnut, their, uh, thenceforth, uh, henceforth, gave birth to the gods, Geb, signifying the earth, Newt, signifying the sky, Newton Geb gave birth to Osiris, Set, and Isis, and Nephthys. And this was finishing out The nine gods of the Inead. This is the Egyptian creation story. There's a mound, a, a mound in the center, as we're going to see from this a mound, mountain, mound comes from. And then from this nothingness, from the nothing, the none, there was nine gods called the Inead that, that came forth. So once again, let's look past the exoteric and get into the esoteric and what are those Egyptians talking about? Those gods were known as none, none, zero, Atum, one, Shu, two, Tefnut, three, Geb, four, Nut, five, Osiris, six, Isis, seven, Set, eight, and Nephthys, nine. This is the creation story, the Egyptian creation story. And what did they give you? Essentially, 10 principles, design elements of God. Atum or Adam is the first one. It's the first thing. What was the first being created in Genesis? Adam? The God, the God none, signifying nothing, is easily recognized in the phonetic variation of the word none, or means nothing. So here's Adam. So from this, so from this in this beginning, God created the first thing, and this is Adam, and it's ultimately a reflection and made in the image of God kind of thing. Um, Adam is usually depicted um, wearing a crown of Upper uh, Lower Egypt. Um, he's uh, often presented with the head of a ram, the lamb, the ram, um, standing erect, has a staff, and Atum is represented by an image of the primeval hill. In other words, the primeval mountain and hill that grew up out of the waters of none. So this Adam is the first being. Now this Adam in Kabbalistic literature represents the perfect man. Okay, and this is exactly what it represents in Hebraic Kabbalistic, you know, literature. And we're going to find this exact same thing once again. We're going to you, you see this idea all over the world. In other words, God at first created this perfect form of the man, and we are to live up to that form. That's 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 the actual form that's within us. So when we say that Christ resides within us, and that's the representative of the true self, the perfect man that that actually resides within us, that you know has been modeled after. This is what they're referring to. 
This comes from, what does this come from? I forget what his name is. Anyway, um, th uh, through the son, hath the father created the head, the ram, the lamb, the Aries, which is the beginning and the end, the fire life and the fountain, foundation of the supernal man, the Adam Kadmon. The Adam Kadmon itself is an epitome of the teachings of the book of concealed mystery. It's an epitome of the teachings of Kabbalah. It's an epitome of basically recognizing the human form of the entirety. That man, the anthropocosm is a reflection of the entire thing. So man, oh, know thyself and you shall know the universe of the gods. It's looking at thyself and learning about God literally from you and your experience. And this is why we say, well, where, 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 do we put the, where did he find those ten emanations on the tree of life? Where do we find that? In some mythical book made by some Norse people? <laughs> we have to go, you know, scrawling through the Zohar? Nah. Nah, you just got to look to you. So Adam Kadmon, this first being, Atum Adam, in Egypt, represents the perfected man. In their totality and unity, the ten Sephiroth represent the archetypal man, the Adam Kadmon, the Adam Kadmon, the protagonist. Um, this is the Kabbalistic tree of life in which all things depend. There's considerable analogy between this and the tree of the Yagrasil by the Scandinavians. So the first being represents, once again, the perfected man. The human body, like that of the universe, Manly Palmer Hall says, is considered to be a material expression of ten globes or spheres of light. Therefore, man is called the microcosm, the little world, built in the image of the great world, of which he is a part. The Sephiranic, the Sephirothic tree is sometimes depicted as a human body, thus more definitely establishing the true identity of the first or heavenly man, the Adam Kadmon, the idea of the universe. So Adam is a representation of the ten globes or spheres of light. Now the symbol of the primordial man, this idea, this Kabbalistic idea that the Jews have, right? is found around the world. The primordial man, a perfected man that exists in the beginning. The symbol of the primordial man, the first being to emerge within creation of the cosmos, is common to a number of religious and philosophical traditions. The Upanishads describes a primal man composed of the very elements which were to become the world. What are the elements? Zero. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. In Hindu tradition, the primordial man is identified with both the entire universe and the soul and or essence of all things. Plutarch, who uh, um, talked about the macro, uh, what is it called, the macroanthropos, a colossal human being who was conceived as a model for the human world. Peru, the first man created by the divine omnipotence, is called Alpha Kamska, uh, animated earth. Just like Adam in the beginning was brought, um, the beginning was made of the earth earthy, brought by the earth mud. Javier Mujica, my freaking brother, on fire today. Thank you, brother. Um, you know what I was playing earlier? I was like, school's out forever. I figured you'd like that since you're an 80s rock guy, 70s rock guy. Um, the Mandans, one of the North American tribes, relate the great spirit modeled two figures of clay which dried and animated the, the, with the breath of his mouth. One receives the name of the first man. Tahiti formed the first man of the red earth. Uh, the Chaldeans call Adam the man who earth produced. And then all of a sudden, so you have this idea of a primordial man in the beginning of all. 
uh, her medicine, the, uh, the, I don't want to get into that, it's too much. So Adam is the name of the first man and signifies man in a generic sense. And then it was, he was born out of the ground, from the ground, as it says, was made out of the dust of the earth or from, and there's your Adam Kadmon, right? Jewish Kabbalistic Adam Kadmon. In the Kabbalistic doctrine, the name given to the first emanation from the eternal fountain. This is the Adam Kadmon. Now, most people, once again, your Adam Kadmon is no, di- is no different than your Adam. This is a Kabbalistic document. So anytime that anybody, any of those Christians out there, and they can, it's going to be hard to eat and swallow this, but it's absolutely true. Anytime you refer to the Old Testament, anytime you refer to the New too, but anytime you refer to the Old Testament, you are referring, at least in these stories, specifically to Kabbalah. Specifically. The very thing that you're denouncing, rejecting, think is all devil worship and stuff, it's literally number symbolism. It's counting to 10 and it's found around the world. And this Adam Kadmon is a representation of Christ, as we're going to see. Christ is known as the second Adam. We'll get into that. Emer, in the Norse stuff, so of Emer's flesh, the earth was shaped. In other words, here's a primordial man in which, as the, as these other cultures were saying, the universe essentially was based on, this is a mystical language saying, guess what? You, at your axis mundi, your tree of life, your central nervous system represents that whole thing. Emer is the first being. Remember, Emer was around before. There was salty ocean and land and waves. Before. Upper earth, or heaven and earth was created. Emer lived. This perfect man, this primordial man. Of Emer's flesh, the earth was shaped the barren hills of his bones, and of his skull, the sky was shaped. So in other words, when we talk about the upper part of heaven on you is the Aries, the lamb, the ram, right? Kind of thing, right? And then, so this is the upper world, Aries, the lamb, the ram, okay? And this is, this is uh, in this, uh, you're the, the, the perfected man, okay? So then we have him, we have Emer here. He's sucking the teat of Outhumbla, I think is how you say this, right? Outhumbla is a big, giant cow slash bull slash, well, cow, right? Big cow. Cows are sacred in Hinduism and stuff like that. Why? What is this? That's Taurus. That's Taurus. It's the constellation Taurus. It's right up there. You don't have to go like think about some mythical cow that exists somewhere in which some dude was actually sucking the teat of the thing. That's not what it is at all. They're talking about constellations. What was right, if you guys remember from the Cherokee's creation story, what was right between the cow and Gemini? The place where souls entered and exited the plane of the earth. Once again, we found that all over the world. Now we're in the Norse stuff, and here we've got Emer, which, by the way, his the his just so you know, his uh, the sky was shaped um, of his skull, the Golgotha, right? Golgotha, the shaped of his skull. And what's the constellation right by Taurus? Is it Aries? Emer is a hermaphroditic giant. And the first creature to come into being in the Norse creation myth. Primordial man. So, and we got the Norse people over here, and we got the Hindus over here, and we got the Christians, in the, and they're all saying separate, 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 separate. And God's upstairs laughing his ass off. He's like, are you guys really looking for a, some sacred cow in which this dude was sucking its teat? Or did I leave that cow upstairs in the heavens? 
So Emer is a hermaphroditic giant. It has to be. Has to be a hermaphrodite. Has to be androgenine. Why? Because there's no separation yet in the creation. There's none. Because when Emer lived, it, there was no land, there was no sea, there was no salty waves, there was neither earth nor there was upper heaven. Not even our metaphysical and physical creation had been separated yet. So what is? So there's no man or woman. There's no up or down. There's no left or right. This is the third line in the Poetic Edda. Look how much is being unveiled to you here. So Emer is literally a hermaphroditic, Adamic being, the first being. Okay? And he is a hermaphrodite. Once again, why? Because there's been no separation in creation yet. This is all unity. It's one. It's oneness. It's getting back to God. Now, so this is Emer. That's, that is a hermaphrodite. We find out that Adam, that Christ is the second Adam. He's the Adam Secundus. He's the final Adam. Okay? How many we got watching here? 131. Awesome. Thank you all for joining me today. Okay, we've got another probably 15 minutes here. Not even. Something like that. So uh, Adam, so we have in the New Testament, we have this, basically what you have is, once again, there was an Old Testament and then there's a New Testament. So there's some old shit and then they came along and they were like, we got some new stuff and this new stuff is way better than that old stuff because that old stuff went really corrupt. Okay, basic story, kind of a, an abridged version of that. So basically they said in the old Kabbalistic stuff, we have the Adam Kadmon, except he was born from the earth. Then Christ comes along and says, I'm the Adam, actually. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Howbeit that that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. As is the earth, uh, as is the earthy, such as they are that earthy and that is heavenly, so as they are that are heavenly. Right. So you have this idea of the Adamic being. That's Adam Kadmon. Jesus comes along in the New Testament and specifically tells Christians specifically tells them that I am now the new Adam. I am the second Adam, the last Adam, the final Adam, which means I am the new Kabbalistic Adam that you should be focusing on. Jesus Christ is telling you specifically that this is Kabbalistic. Specifically. And once again, what do we have going on here? Christians deny, I don't even know of a Christian that it would even, besides you guys, that even would touch Kabbalah. They, they'd laugh it off. They'd you know, make jokes about it, thinks it's all stupid. And we're counting to 10, guys. The, 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 when I got into this stuff, the thing that I found was, hence part of the uh, impetus or inspiration to do this church, was I found it very sad I found it actually strikingly sad that something so simple as 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, stuff you teach your children is somehow oogle boogle, you know, demonic worship by a bunch of Christians. Knowing that you could see those, those principles within the world and actually help you understand the design. And that the good book that itself was actually teaching you this thing right from the mouth of Christ. And then you go to 99.99999% of Christians. And then he said, guess what? Yeah, Jesus is that, that, that new Adam Kadmon. And they'll flip their lids. They'll lose it. I find it sad. 
There's Jesus literally holding the hand of Adam, basically saying, oh, you were born of the earth earthy, I'm born of the spiritual now. Now, once again, why is this, why is, why is, and then we'll, we'll cut this. Why is this Adamic being an anthrop, uh, well, it's an anthropocosm, so it's a representation of the entire thing. But why is it an androgenide? People have a problem with this, especially the whole trans thing that's going on right now, right? Because like, these are metaphysical things that we're discussing here. This is not like actually like, oh, well, Jesus was an androgenide, so therefore you should grow some boobs and cut off your penis or something. That's not what we're saying at all. Spiritual notions. When a man and woman come together, well, in other, in other words, to create a new birth, to, to, to be born, what has to happen? What has to happen in order for you to be born? A man and woman need to come together. Their energy from this person and the energy from this person needs to come together and unify and create the new birth. In order for you to be reborn, what needs to happen? The energy of the man and the woman, the, the polarity of energy that exists within you. Just like we said, when a Gnostic, the Gnostic teaches you that you've got your two hemispheres of the brain, right? In general, in, I'm saying this in general, you know, poetic and the mechanical side is to merge those two things. That's what they're talking about. They're taking all of those, the, the opposites of creation and uni unifying them into one and getting back to that first being, that primordial man, that perfect man prior to the fall, prior to him listening to that damn serpent. That man incorporated all the opposites within him. The man, the woman, the left, the right, heaven and earth even, as Emer says, heaven and earth. So, we see this being as an androgynine, male and female. Why? Because, and the rib, uh, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. Um, and the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her onto the man. So, where was Eve? Where was this woman? inside of Adam. Eve was one with Adam in the beginning. Hence why God took Eve out of Adam. Where did the woman come from? From the primordial man. So, that is an androgynine. Adam Cadmon is an androgynine. It's not a man. It has both of the principles within it. And this is why in alchemy, once again, when I studied this stuff, that you will be inundated by this. If you, you just even, you don't even have to read any like the manuscripts for people that like write about alchemy. Just go and look up some alchemical images and look across the spectrum of alchemy. What will you find? The complete work. The alchemical androgynine was the completion of the great work. There's no question about it. You can see the rebus in the second there. That was one of my favorite ones representing the primordial man, the perfect man that's ascended up to heaven. Look at it. How many, look at that. The one right there has got the sword. He's got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? A bunch of them do actually there. Uh, a couple of them do. And so uh, a lot of them standing on a serpent, beating the shit out of a serpent. See that? One's on, a, uh, the one on the top right there that's on the sacred mound, just like Atum. So this is bringing all opposites into one. Hence why Eve was in Adam. Hence why Emer was a, um, an androgynine. In fact, Emer, uh, a male and female grew under his arm. A male and female grew out of Emer. Well, how Emer must have been part female and part male in order for a male and female to come out of him, right? No different than Adam. Eve was inside of Adam. 
Now, and so then we see the alchemical androgenine, the completion of the great work uniting all opposites back into one before the fall. So, then, this has been brought up quite a bit. <sighs> that, a lot of these images of Christ look feminine. People have brought this up many times before. In fact, Jennifer was one that, uh, I'm going to show this one. Look at all of these. The upper left one right there, that, I mean, if you didn't have a beard on that, that would look like a woman. If that, if that upper left one did not have a beard, that would look like a woman. Look at the lower right one there. Now, most people, this is blasphemy. Are you equating him some trans or something? No, I'm equating him to Adam Cadmon, the last Adam, just as he says to do, just as he informs us to do. And we go to that Adam, and what is that Adam? Before the fall, before any of this stuff happened. The primordial man, the perfect man that was made in the image of God. And what do you have? Adam and Eve the man and woman in that being before before they were separated. Check out this one. Very effeminate. Look at the other guys around him. All, all have these long beards. They look very masculine. This other guy is really gruff on the left there. Uh, the other guy on the right looks very gruff. And then what do you have? An extremely effeminate Christ. Let's keep going. How about this one? This is Christ amongst the doctors. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a riff off, uh, it's a, it's a repainting off Durer. Um, what do you see there? Look at the rest of the guys around him. Now look at Christ in the center. What's he doing? He's counting on his fingers. Oh, he must've been a Kabbalist. <laughs> must've been one of his, one of those pesky Kabbalists that counted to 10. Look, extremely effeminate. And then we'll end on Durer here. Look at that one. Look at the guy. So this is Albert Durer. This is uh, Christ amongst the doctors, and this is when all this is the execs from Pfizer and Moderna, and they're all they're all being like, "Did you get your booster?" That's what they're doing to Christ, right there. So those are the doctors of the Kabbalah. Those are those are the doctors of the Kabbalah. Essentially, what's going on, right? They're all opening the book. They all have their books open, right? And they're all just like, whoa, 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 like this. And Christ is coming along and being like, I got this. It's like, it's just zero, uh, one, two, three. That's what's going on there. So, so why is Christ effeminate in all of these? Because he represents the first man that brings it all back into one. Wasn't, isn't trans, isn't bi or anything like that. It's silly, stupid shit. No, he represents the great work. The great work, that perfected man, we know is what? We've been talking a lot about it. We've been talking a lot about it. It's the Zodiac man. It's a representation. There's, of course, there's a, there's, as we've seen thus far, there's a bunch of different ways to represent the tree. There's like a mound or a mountain or a tree or, you know, how many fruit are on the tree and that sort of stuff, right? There's all these sorts of ways to, um, the primordial man to symbolize this sort of thing, right? One of the ways though is, as we know, and we've talked loads about this, this is the anthropocosm. This is the zodiac man. Anthropo meaning like 
anthrop you know like anthropology study of human beings that sort of thing anthropocosm cosm meaning the cosmos it's a man of the cosmos anthropocosm zodiac man a representation of what the entirety of the entirety of the whole thing the center pole of man the axis mundi the tree of life that is your central nervous system what revolves around that in our cosmology the 12 houses of the zodiac This Zodiac Man, which we've done our entire study on this thing, is a representation of that Adam Kadmon, that perfect man, a man that represents the entire cosmos. So this is, and there's of course what, the 12 houses of the Zodiac around that man. Representing what? The 12 months of the year, correct? And this is what it says in Revelation. Last chapter, 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the beginning, there was four rivers, right, that flowed out. And the first was Pison. The first river that flowed out of the center was Pison. The river was called Pison. And it, was, uh, it encompassed the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. So anyway. And in that center of the top, in the beginning, in the center of creation, out flowed a river. And in that throne is God and the Lamb. The Ram. The Lamb in the top, in the head. <clears throat> in the midst of the street of life, oh, the great work looks like the horn beast with uh, tits. Actually, we were going to cover that whole thing, by the way, uh, for your question there. Uh, we were talking about, actually, I was going to co cover Baphomet and how, how God, or how uh, the devil wraps himself up in, in uh, uh, things of light, divine truths. So that's a whole different uh, conversation. But So in the midst of the street and on either side of this river, Revelation 22, was there a tree of life, which bear, now not nine or ten here, but this is, this is once again a different explanation of the symbolism here to, to relay even more what this means, in other words. So in the river, in the center there was the tree of life. It's the tree of eternal life that you will feed from, which bear twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. So the le so the, the fruit of this tree was 12. And it literally tells you it represents every single month. And this is your zodiac man. And what is that? It's you represented as the tree of life, bearing 12 manner of fruits, which represent what? The 12 houses of the zodiac, the 12 months of the year. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it. And she'll see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. Why in the forehead? Because the name of God is now locked into the lamb, the Aries, the ram. And there shall be no night there. In other words, this is going right back to the beginning of what Emer was, where Emer was, right? Where there was no sun or moon, there was no land, there was no salty waves, there was no heaven, there was no earth. It was all just God. It was all God. That's it. God. Just God all day long. Not even a night. And there shall be no night there. Because there is no separation. There's no day and night. There's no man and woman. There's no up and down. There's no heaven and earth. It's just the unity and totality of God, of which we can't even freaking understand, really. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Eternal life. Eating from the tree of life in the midst of the garden.
So what is the, and let's end it here. So what is the eschatological essence of the tree of life? Many theologians throughout history, uh, church history, have suggested that the tree of life is nothing less than a symbolic description of Christ himself. Spiritually feeding on Christ for all eternity is the essence of eternal life. Having a continual supply of the Spirit of Christ is life, healing, and blessedness. Christ is the true tree of life. Because as mediator, he is the prince of life, giving life to in the world, uh, giving life to the world and eternal life in heaven by glory. For he is the resurrection and the life who will most certainly bestow upon his, his own eternal life. Truly, he is the only tree because no one except Christ is the author of eternal life. No one except Christ is in the midst of paradise. So, the, the, the moral of the story is, if, you know, if you're looking in here, you're looking in here, you got to be looking in here, and you got to be looking out there. Because this book isn't a, a conglomeration and a collection of just a bunch of tales of imaginary times and things that existed and some flaming swords and a talking serpent way back in the Dizay that makes no rational or logical sense whatsoever. No. No, that's not what this is at all. At all. This is telling you what's going on right now. Right here. Right here. And right here. And that's going to do it. Okay. Um, thank you all for showing up today. I really appreciate it. I'm trying to keep these under two hours, and I think I did it. So uh, 146 watching right now. Yeah, so, so, so if you want to share this to all your friends and all your neighbors, and if you want a better future for this world and you want your children uh, and all these Christians that are coming up to actually start understanding their good book, to actually start understanding this stuff and teaching your children real world information and not a bunch of nonsense. If you want to do that, you should sign up at GnosticAcademy.org. You can become a member for $14 for every three months, 54 for the year, something like that. Um, so I appreciate it. What do we got here? Gnostic, Revelation, Mysteries, Amor, Walking Hug, Russell says, Thank you, brother. Marty, for bringing me back to the balance. I totally get it now. We cannot have the branches without embracing the roots. Total inclusion of above and below. Right. Right? That's the thing. It's like, that's what, that's what's one of the lessons down here is that you, you, you come to understand that, you know, we, you need, we, we need this. The, of course we need it. God made it the way he made it because it's perfect. So you can't deny the one and accept the other. You know, you can't just cut off the tree and be like, I'm going to take the top part and take this all the way to heaven. No, that's a dead tree now. No, you know, so, okay, that's going to do it. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate all the support. If you can support, it's the way this church keeps going. It's the only way it's going to keep going. I made a decision in my life, um, like I said, probably before I started this, that I was, I'm only going to keep, I mean, I'll always do stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I'm only going to keep this church going if it actually has the support of the people. If the people don't want the support, then this church goes. It's that simple. Because this, I know this information and what we teach is uh, um, life-changing. I've, just by the people that have written me, I've, I've gotten messages uh, from, especially for a lot of older folk that have been in and out of churches their entire freaking life. I mean, like, none of these churches have a damn clue. They all get, you know what I mean? And they want real, they want 
something palatable. They want something to you know, bite into and actually make sense and you know, give meaning to these things. And this is what we're doing here. And it's so amazing to see some of these older folks that, like I said, have been in and out of churches for 50 years or whatever, taking their children here and being like, oh, this is what we believe now. And then they get a fight with the church or the church goes crazy or they start being like, we got to get jabbed and masked or whatever it is. And they're just tired of it. And then they come here and they're like, oh, Jesus, this is making a lot of sense. I, you don't even have to believe me. That's what's so great about this. What I tell you is like, hey, there's a tree in the center of our creation and cultures around the world thought that. That's not an opinion. I'm not giving you my opinion. That's years and years of diligent study that I'm now distilling, alchemically distilling down into books and things like that and placing it into your noggin. That bread box of neurons on top of your neck. Okay, so... Um, this church keeps going as long as it has the support. And when it doesn't have any support, Marty's gone. And that will be it for me. YouTube, that's it. I'm done. Um, it's my life's work. So, so thank you, Ruth Scott, you blessed being. It's already true, Mary. It's uh, Don't worry, it's already true. We gotcha. Thank you so much. The Beloveds, thank you so much. You guys are wonderful. All right, we're going to listen to a song from Ryan Adams. Oh, let me just, uh, well, no, I'll say this. We're going to listen to a song by Ryan, Collective Tribal Consciousness. Thank you so much. Deb McNally, awesome sermon today. Much love to you, both of you, and our fur babies. Yes, we will see you soon. Oh, wait a second here. KCD watches YouTube. Why are you not a moderator? You're moderating now. Moderated the shit out of you. Thank you, brother. Good to see you. Always good to see you. Okay. Um, we're going to listen to a song by Ryan Adams called Moving Target off a record called Chris. Ryan Adams. Ryan, not Brian. Ryan Adams, a record called Chris, and it's called Moving Target, and it's such a great record, and it's such a beautiful song. And so that's going to do it for me. All right, if you guys can, stop on over to Nast Academy, become a member, uh, donate, keep this baby going. So much more to learn. Got a new book coming out. We're just getting going. Just starting, baby. Ben Krupa. Much love. Okay, so that's going to do it. Guys, may you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ onto eternal life. On that tree of life, may his grace be with you all. Amen. All right, guys, I love you so much. Thank you all for the support. Thank you all for being here. It's so great that I actually have a, a crowd of people that I can actually do this every Sunday with. It's just fantastic. I love you guys so much. Have a beautiful week and just keep crushing it. Just keep killing it. You guys are fantastic and it's great to see. So, okay, that's going to do it for me. Guys, let's rock out. As always, many blessings and much love to all. Thank you.